We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice-cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day. Three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Packaday Podcast. You can get all your Packaday updates by following us on Twitter at Packaday Podcast. And remember to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, or Spotify. And of course, you can always check us out at cheeseheadtv.com. My name is Kyle Fellows, and I'm joined by my co-host, Andrew Mertig. Andrew, welcome back to another wonderful Friday edition of the show. Kyle, Kyle, Kyle. I I jokingly said last week the only way the Packers would ever fire a coach midseason was if something impossible happened, like losing to the Arizona Cardinals in Lambeau. So am I the reason why this happened? I mean, I don't think you should be too hard on yourself, but yeah, basically we're going to blame you for the entire McCarthy firing, yeah. Ugh. And I was at the game on Sunday. And uh, I'll actually be there again this week. So fun playing out the end stretch of the season. Um, and I was shocked at the lack of passion in the Packers players. I did not think a coaching change would happen until the off season, but it became pretty apparent that it needed to happen after that performance. And um, I don't know that either one of us was shocked, but maybe a little surprised. Yeah, definitely a little bit surprised. I didn't think that this would happen midseason. It didn't seem like a Packer thing to do. Uh, but here we are. And if anyone has spent any time on Twitter this week, uh, you've probably seen some suggestions that have made as to who the Packers could, should, or will target in their next head coach. Uh, the names range from 
the great Jim Caldwell uh, to Brett Favre. And frankly, I'm just having a really hard time deciding if it's more annoying or just some grade A entertainment that's out there right now. But the reality is that we are going to be talking about hypothetical coaching hires from now until sometime in January when Mark Murphy actually makes this hire. And so today we wanted to take just a quick look at some of the candidates that may be flying under the radar and some other candidates that I think are just terrible ideas. And so affectionately, we're going to call this segment Coaches Flying Under the Radar and Coaches Kyle Hates. So, Andrew, why don't you just tell us a little bit uh, about a candidate you think that we should be, you know, maybe giving a little bit more hype to before I get all negative. Absolutely. I, I, I mentioned this guy on Twitter earlier this week, but um, the one college coach that I've always thought was the most pro-ready and a guy that is, quite frankly, flying way under the radar in terms of NFL potential is Stanford's David Shaw. Shaw is always entertaining as a guest on NFL Network's draft coverage. It's clear he understands and um, has developed strong ties to his players. He's well-respected throughout the coaching community. He runs a pro-style offense, which is nice, and his run game and heavy usage of tight ends would work well to uh, maybe not force the entire offense to solely rely on Mr. Rogers. Shaw has been an NFL assistant with the Eagles, Raiders, and Ravens, which I didn't totally realize before I looked into it. Uh, He actually played at Stanford and played under Dennis Green and Bill Walsh, who was doing a stint there in the 90s. Um, he, He coached under Jim Harbaugh at both San Diego State and Stanford before he took over the head coaching duties. He wouldn't be a sexy pick by any means. Um, and I'm not totally sure that he would ever leave Stanford, but I think he would be an excellent choice. And certainly um, one alternative to his former boss, Mr. Jim Harbaugh. <laughs> and I am going to talk a little bit about Jim Harbaugh. Uh, he is the first coach that I absolutely hate the idea of being the next coach of the Green Bay Packers. And now I know I'm not the only person to think that this is a bad idea, but there are some Packer fans out there that think a return to the NFL is a good idea for Harbaugh and that the Packers could be a really good fit. So let me say just, you know, that couldn't be me. I just don't think that that's a good idea. Uh, And just to add a little bit of perspective on why I feel so strongly about this, and I know that I risk this in this context of knowing that I'm talking to a bunch of Wisconsin residents and Badger fans, but I am a Michigan Wolverines fan. Um, (laughs) I grew up in Michigan and so I've always loved the Wolverines and the last couple years Jim Harbaugh has done some really great things uh, for that Michigan program. Yes, he's failed to beat Ohio State, uh, but he's created a winning culture there and he's excellent at recruiting and he is, in my opinion, a great coach for the University of Michigan. For Michigan. (laughs) Michigan fans who are calling for Harbaugh to be fired are absolutely nuts. Now, that said, the idea of Jim Harbaugh coaching the Packers is one of the worst I've heard. And it starts with Aaron Rodgers for me. Uh, Harbaugh is known as a QB whisperer, and I'm not sure that that's deserved. But nonetheless, that's the rumor. Uh, But can you imagine Jim Harbaugh and his huge personality and his high opinion of himself and his proclaimed ability to fix quarterbacks engaging in helpful and constructive conversations with Aaron Rodgers because I have a really hard time doing that. And we've all heard that Aaron Rodgers wants to be coached and that he wants to be stimulated by a more intellectual, nuanced, and challenging offense. And I have a hard time imagining that Aaron Rodgers, who's a very bright person, is going to have a hard time 
talking and you know taking someone seriously who thinks that eating chicken makes a man weak i just have a hard time imagining that that is going to be a good combination so so jim harbaugh a really talented college coach but a really terrible choice for the green bay packers and aaron Rodgers, in my opinion and i wanted to talk about somebody who is young uh offensive mind um, and in the world where everybody is looking for the next Sean McVay, um, I'm actually going to look for somebody, look at somebody who works for Mr. McVay, um, and that is 34-year-old quarterback coach of the LA Rams, Zach Taylor. So, of course, if you're going to look for somebody, why not look for someone that um, that particular coach trusts to coach up his greatest asset in Jared Goff? Taylor is the son-in-law of Mike Sherman, so he has that working against him. Um, He actually got his coaching start um, after marrying Sherman's daughter, working for Mike. Um, He followed him to Miami um, and then later caught on with McVay, um, and he has helped develop Jared Goff. And you have to think that McVay has surrounded himself with similarly great football minds on his side of the football. Another interesting thought is Taylor's 29-year-old brother, Press, is the quarterback coach for the Eagles. So a potential package of the Taylor brothers as young offensive prodigies has to be at least highly intriguing. This would be a colossal risk for the Packers, (laughs) which they could somewhat offset by keeping a veteran defensive coordinator like Mike Pettin around, but the payoff could be absolutely tremendous. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Zach Taylor is not someone that I've known a ton about. So someone I'm definitely interested after you're talking about him just now uh, to look into a little bit more closely. Um, but his brother's name is Press. That Correct. Cons- that, that concerns me a little bit. I feel like he should be like a, a defensive backs coach or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you would think. I was really hoping he was a, a defensive coach, so maybe we could pair the two together. One could run the offense, one could run the defense. But um, I, I guess if you want success from position coaches, coaching up Jared Goff and Carson Wentz, probably pretty good options to uh, model your, your offensive game plan around. Yeah, that's a really good track record, I would say. So um, we talked a little bit about Jim Harbaugh, and so I want to be fair. And so, you know, I've talked about one Harbaugh brother, and so I thought it was only fair to talk about John Harbaugh as well. And John is on my list of coaches that I'd hate to see be the next coach of the Green Bay Packers. Now, I have to say that I think John would be a much better choice over Jim. I think that John is actually a really good NFL coach. Um, And I could actually get on board with him being the coach of the Green Bay Packers. I just don't think that he's what the Packers need in a coach right now. Uh, John John Harbaugh is a really great leader, um, but he's also uh, limited in in his creativity. And I think we're familiar with another coach that's been described in a very similar way, right? Uh, Mike McCarthy was a great leader, but clearly Mark Murphy and Brian Gutekinds determined that this team needed something different. Now, I've heard people suggest that maybe you could pair an elite offensive mind with someone like John Harbaugh and have a great leader and the offensive changes that are needed at the same time. Um, And this is an interesting idea and one that I kind of like. But then you run the risk of that offensive coordinator being hired away as a head coach in a year or two, and then you're back to kind of where you started. So um, as good of a hire as John Harbaugh would be for a lot of NFL teams, I just don't think he brings any of what the Packers have lacked in recent seasons. 
And since we're talking about some of the under the radar coaching options, one thing that I wanted to get your opinion on, Kyle, was it does seem that the next coaching hire is going to be some sort of combined decision between Mark Murphy and Brian Gutekunst. What would your thoughts be about Murphy seemingly meddling in personnel decisions? Yeah, we've seen a lot about this on Twitter this week, and it's kind of like um, this controversial thing. But honestly, I know this may not be a super popular take, but I'm really comfortable with the structure that Mark Murphy has built in Green Bay. I thought the joint press conference the other day was really helpful in seeing how Murphy plans to work with Brian Gutekunst in this uh, coaching hire and this in this search. I thought that Murphy naturally deferred to Brian on a lot of the personnel and roster questions, and Murphy stayed in his lane. Uh, as the big picture guy. And a lot of people have said that this is a poor setup because you don't see it in other places in sports or in the NFL, which simply isn't true. Uh, Plus, most teams have an owner involved, and many of those owners simply have no business making big decisions uh, like the ones that face Mark Murphy right now. Uh, And the good news is that Murphy is much more qualified to help with the search and selection of a new head coach of the Green Bay Packers than a lot of owners in the NFL who insert themselves into these situations. And Murphy made it very clear that Brian Gutekunst um, and he will be on the same page when this decision is made. And so honestly, I think it's unfortunate that some in the media have fabricated this image of Mark Murphy as this egotistical goof who doesn't know what he's doing. I think he knows exactly what he's doing. And I really do think that he has a lot of wisdom to lend in this process. And I think he's intent on making the best decision for the future of the Green Bay Packers. I'm just hoping that he doesn't allow any more media opportunities to take pictures of him sledding down a hill. <laughs> that's that's my one uh, one wish for this upcoming offseason. Um, so speaking of the offseason, uh, one of the things that I, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, obviously, we are going to start to transition into a little bit more off-season talk than we probably would like to be doing this late in the football season. Um, but one thing that I wanted to talk about specifically today is perceptions about fandom and taking a look at things I believe are just frankly common misconceptions. I continue to hear that you know, quote unquote, real fans would never root against their team to get a better draft pick. Now, certainly I agree. You don't want your team to lose to force them to make a GM or a coaching decision, um, i.e. the people who wanted the Packers to lose to prove that they are the smartest person in the room because they said Mike McCarthy was terrible for the last 10 years. I also think there's a great argument to be made that going into the offseason with forward momentum, you know, winning a few games leading in the offseason can be just as valuable as having a really high draft pick. And you also have to trust that your GM is going to be making the right pick no matter where your your pick falls in the first round. But I wanted to tell a little story about the last time the Packers were this bad with a healthy starting quarterback. The year was 2005, and the Packers had their worst season of their current two centuries of success and finished 4-12. and They were utterly terrible. But in week 14, they took on the Detroit Lions at Lambeau. I was actually at that game. It was like the second or third game that I ever gone to, and they were, they were a really bad team, so I wasn't quite as excited as I probably should have been. But with seven minutes to go in the fourth quarter, it was tied 13-13, and the Packers had the ball on their own one. Sam Congato, he of Packers lore, is stopped in the end zone for what looks to be a safety. But the ball comes out in what was surely a fumble. The Packers actually recovered that at the one. But after some discussion, the officials rule that Gatto had thrown the ball forward, 
which would be intentional grounding, and that results in a safety. Making matters worse, the Packers were also called for holding in the end zone, but the Lions declined the penalty because it was a safety no matter what. After a challenge and what turned out to be an incredibly long discussion, the officials decided that Gatto was outside the pocket when he threw (laughs) the ball away, which was wrong. He was between the guard and the tackle, and that the holding occurred outside of the end zone. That was also incorrect because all of the offensive linemen had been pushed deep into the end zone. At a minimum, this cost the Lions two points plus the ball and probably the game because even though Sam Congato finished with 171 yards rushing and a touchdown, the Packers did eventually win this game in overtime 16-13. So why would I talk about a game from 13 years ago? That one game cost the Packers a shot at the number two overall pick because they would have had the same record as the 3-13 New Orleans Saints. And the Week 17 game they won against the Seahawks, which was also meaningless, but the Packers were playing really motivated because they thought it might be Brett Favre's last game, prevented them from having a chance at the number one pick. And so Mario Williams goes number one, Reggie Bush goes number two, Meanwhile, the Packers get the number five pick and get A.J. Hawk, who was serviceable, but never lived up to his draft position. So the idea that there isn't much of a difference in a few draft spots is just not true. And that becomes magnified the higher you pick. It also makes your pick's trade value grow exponentially, which could be very important for a team that seemingly has a lot of holes to fill. So I'm not advocating that we root against the Packers. I just don't think... Maybe playing really well and losing at the end is a very big deal and probably actually beneficial going forward. Absolutely. Uh, actually, Sam Congato is actually, I believe, currently working on uh, his medical degree at St. Louis University near my house. So uh, maybe I'll run into him and just tell him he really messed that up for us. Right. <laughs> uh, I agree with Andrew completely that a few spots in the draft can make a huge difference. And while you're never going to hear a coach or a GM telling its players to tank, the reality is that there are subtle things that happen, decisions that are made when a team has no chance to make the playoffs that you might not consider tanking, but they are decisions that are clearly not made with the interest interest of winning now as the priority. And we're already seeing some of those moves being made by the Packers. There are lots of transactions happening that give priority to the future over the present. Uh, For instance, the decision to promote Kendall Donerson to the active roster. Donerson is a really raw, talented player, but he's still developing. Um, Is putting him on the field a risk? Yeah, probably. But getting him some snaps in these last four weeks of the season could go a long way in his development. Um, Another move that the Packers made this week that was kind of surprising and disappointing was to place Kevin King on an injured reserve. Now, it's totally possible that King would have needed to go on IR even if the Packers were in the thick of a playoff push. But with the season all but over, it probably made the decision easier for the Packers to end King's season and make sure that they gave him ample time to get right and not make you know that nagging injury worse. Now, again, these are not moves that mean that the Packers are actively tanking, but they are moves that are easier when your primary objective isn't to win now. Absolutely. And and. I said last week that I wanted them to call up Donerson, and then they did. So this is yet again proof that Brian Gutekunst listens to the Packaday podcast. Absolutely. Every time Kevin King gets brought up, there's going to be a legion of fans yelling out, TJ Watt, um, I'm going to tell you something. 
if his name was TJ Wilson and he played college football at Utah, no one would ever bring him up. Uh, he he makes some big plays. He also gives up a lot. He reminds me of a not quite as good young Clay Matthews. He he overpursues a lot. He gets washed out way too much. But he will make a big sack at times. Um, he's actually not even the best badger, if you want to go that way, that was available. Uh, Ryan Ramchek is turning out to be one of the better tackles in the league. So if you want to get mad about anything, get mad that they didn't draft Ramchek. Uh, Kevin King certainly has to stay healthy to stay on this team going forward. I think he gets one more year and and hopefully he's healthy. Uh, but I am nowhere near ready to throw in the towel on a tall, physical, athletically gifted corner. Yeah, absolutely. We've certainly seen the flashes from King to think that the best days of his career are ahead of him and that he can be a very good player in this league. So best of luck to him in the offseason on getting healthy. And we'll hope 2019 is that breakout year that he very much needs. Uh, the Packers made a couple of other moves this week. And so, Andrew, I just need to ask you really quick. Um, have you ever gotten a 300% raise at work? I do not believe so. I was a little bit nervous that you might say yes, and then I would just really feel bad about myself. But <laughs> I appreciate you being uh, having that answer for me. But that is exactly what happened uh, for Packers practice squad offensive lineman Adam Pankey this week. Another NFL team tried to sign Pankey off the Packers practice squad, so they gave him a hearty raise, one that's... Uh, equivalent to the league minimum for players on the 53-man roster, and he chose to stay with Green Bay. So good for Panky. Uh, we've seen the Packers do similar things like this uh, with players like Christian Ringo in the past, and so it'll be interesting to see how he factors into the Packers' future plans on the offensive line, especially with so many questions at the right guard position and with the future of right tackle kind of up in the air. Um, the Packers also claimed uh, Fadol Brown off of waivers from the Oakland Raiders, Brown is listed as an edge defender in most places, but he is a big boy. He's six foot four and 280 pounds. And on Twitter, Zach Cruz noted that the Packers had a really hard time blocking Brown when they faced the Raiders in the preseason. So he's obviously made a big enough impression that the Packers thought he was worth claiming. Uh, the Packers also claimed safety uh, Natrell Jamerson from uh, the Texans. Uh, Jamerson was originally drafted out of Wisconsin in the fifth round by the Saints, but was cut and then picked up by Houston. Jamerson uh, is a really good athlete and brings some versatility to the secondary. He actually posted the 13th fastest, fastest 40 time at this past year's NFL scouting combine. And on Twitter on Wednesday, Scott McKenna noted that Brian Gutekunst has now acquired four of the 13 fastest players at last year's combine in quarterback Tony Brown, uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Jair Alexander, and now Natrell Jamerson. So I think it's safe to say that speed is definitely something that new GM Brian Gutekunst finds to be valuable and uh, a necessary trait in today's NFL. Yeah, a lot of really interesting moves there. I, Pinky is a really interesting developmental tackle prospect. He has some good movement skills. I think he just needs to continue to develop strength, and, and he really could be that kind of developmental prospect that the Packers have struck gold with a few different times in the offensive line. Uh, Fidel Brown reminds me a little bit of Nick Perry. He's a big, physical, long-armed dude who can impact the run game. Um, outside of maybe that preseason game against the Packers, he hasn't shown too much pass rush. The nice thing is he'll get an extended trial and a chance to potentially replace a guy like like Nick Perry, um, <laughs> if he performs well enough. 
And uh, for any of the listeners who play Madden, when you get a position group that is decimated by injury, you always just go into the free agency pool and you find the youngest, fastest player at the position to sign. And that is totally what it feels like Goot is doing with uh, Jamerson and, and some of the other moves. Yeah, Tony Brown, for instance, that he's making. Uh, Jamerson is an absolute athletic freak. And I did notice um, when I looked at the Packers depth chart earlier today that they had Jamerson listed at cornerback. So um, I know he played a little corner and a little safety in college. So that will be interesting to see if uh, uh, where the Packers see him fitting. Certainly they're going to have a need at safety because it seems like most of their safeties are injured right now. Um, so we have spent the entire show so far talking about offseason and coaching changes and, and now some roster moves. But there's actually a game this weekend in which Packers are going to play, and I don't think we should just take that for granted since we wait eagerly for the football season to come around, and I don't want to quit this early. So uh, let's talk a little bit about some key matchups against the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah, absolutely. So we do play the Falcons, and I'm excited to see how these Falcons wide receivers match up with the Packers cornerbacks. You know, obviously the loss of Kevin King really does hurt this team, and players like Julio Jones... Um, were the kind of guys that the Packers really were hoping that King could cover when they drafted him. And so it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, ideally what you want to do here because Jair Alexander matches up really nicely with guys like Calvin Ridley. So I really like uh, that assignment for, for our Jair Alexander, but I'm not sure that Green Bay isn't going to need to put their star rookie corner on a guy like Julio Jones because I don't think you like the idea of putting Tony Brown or even uh, Bashad Breeland on, on a guy like Julio Jones. And Josh Jackson has struggled with being handsy with, uh, you know, a player far less challenging to cover than Jones. So it's worth noting that Jones did miss practice this week with a foot injury, but all signs point to him playing on Sunday. So uh, I'm interested to see how these cornerbacks hold up against a such, you know, such a talented group of wide receivers. And then I also want to take a second just to go ahead and talk about Aaron Rodgers and Coach Joe Philbin. And I know I'm cheating a little bit here. Uh, We're not talking about a matchup with the Atlanta Falcons per se. But I'm excited to see how these two work together these last four weeks of the season. I want to see how the play calling changes. Uh, We heard this week that it's been 20 years since Joe Philbin last called plays. So that's going to be fun to watch, see what that's like. And then I want to see if this offense can get into a better rhythm. And uh, from the outside looking in, I think we should be able to tell pretty quickly if Rodgers has more trust in Philbin's in-game decisions. And this is, uh, it's not just the case with Rodgers, but with this whole roster, I'm excited to see if the team's uh, willing to rally to Philbin and is energized to play these last four weeks. And I think we'll be able to tell pretty early in this game on Sunday if that's the case. Yeah, and one one matchup that I'm really excited to take a look at is the Falcons' pass rush versus the Packers' offensive line. Vic Beasley, Tack McKinley, Grady Jarrett, Brooks Lead, Brooks Reed, they can all get to the quarterback. They have not been particularly great this year. That's one of the Falcons' huge struggles, kind of their defense in, in general, but especially their pass rush has been really disappointing. But they do have the ability to get home, and the Packers' offensive line is beat up. 
Lane Taylor was limited at practice on Wednesday, and Byron Bell and Brian Bulaga did not practice. The Packers may need to go with a combo of Justin McCray, Lucas Patrick, and Jason Spriggs, which could lead to a really long day for Aaron Rodgers. So hopefully Joe Philbin's got the quick pass game queued up. Uh, because otherwise Aaron might be running for his life. Yeah, it could be a long day for Aaron Rodgers, it sounds like. Uh, we may want to just go ahead and uh, put Kaiser in, depending on how that goes. But um, I actually want to, to spend a little bit of time looking at the development of these young wide receivers with Rodgers in this game. I don't know if there's anything more important in these final four games than GM Brian Gutekunst and the coaching staff getting to assess the play of the Packers' young wide receivers. Um, because the Packers are going to have to decide if they have adequate weapons for Aaron Rodgers or if they need to upgrade a wide receiver in the offseason. MVS has been the talk of the town, but Equinemius St. Brown has really emerged as well lately, and obviously everyone wants to see a breakout game from Jake Kumaro, and obviously Rodgers' trust in these guys has grown by necessity, but we also know that Rodgers has been calling for Kumaro to get his shot. So I'm curious to see if in the midst of the test of a new coach, new play calling, and the rust that's obviously going to come with that, which of these young guys is going to continue to build that relationship with Rodgers and carry that momentum into the offseason to prove that they're going to be a key piece to this offense in the future. And we've been keeping at least, you know, part of our attention focused on the Saints' first-round pick all season long, but now as the Packers' chances of making the playoffs have slimmed to next to none, um, now we can focus on that a little bit more closely. If the season ended today, the Packers would have the 10th and the 30th pick in the 2019 draft, so that loss to the Cowboys last week actually dropped the Saints' pick down from 32 to 30. Yay. Yeah. The Saints do play at Tampa Bay at noon on Sunday, and so we'll see how they recover coming off of a loss for only the second time this year. And hopefully the Packers' uh, second first-round pick can continue to slide up in the draft. But that is all the time we have for today. This has been the Pack-A-Day podcast. You can find Kyle on Twitter at Packer underscore pundit, and you can find me at Andrew Mertig. Remember to follow at Packaday Podcast as well. Please subscribe to the Packaday Podcast if you like what we're doing. Tomorrow's episode is going to be hosted by Jake and Mark, and check out Jacob and Zach as they get you ready for the game on Sunday. You can catch Kyle and myself every single Friday. We'll be back next Friday with a preview of the Packers' Week 15 game against the hated Chicago Bears. Thanks for listening, and as always, remember. Shotgun formation of third and 15 to the 46-yard line of Dallas. They empty the shotgun. Cobb in motion to the left side. Rodgers looks it over against the snap. Back pedals now under some pressure. Steps up, throws it over the middle. Good Adams! 30! Turns up field. 25! Cutting right to the 20! 15! 10! 5! Devontae Adams to the south end zone for the touchdown! Rodgers looks it over. Starts to his left. Now he moves. Starts to the right side. Snap to A-Rod. Looking downfield. Being flushed. Rolling left, winds up, rainbows it high and deep into the end zone. It's high, what and it caught. It is caught for a touchdown. Yes! A miracle yes! pass yes! in the end zone. Can you believe it? Unbelievable. One kick away from the NFC Championship game. From the 41. Left hand spot. 51 yards. Field goal attempt. Snap. Placement. Kick to the uprights. And it is
against the Green Bay Packers. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.